Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. When you think of famous songwriting duos, Lennon and McCartney are usually right up there at the top of the list. But when it comes to writing, Roger Cook and Roger Greenaway's songs are almost as well known as the iconic Beatles duo. About 50 years ago, the Bristol-born pair created a song for a Coca-Cola advert that not only topped the charts, but found its way into the public consciousness around the world. They were the Bristol boys who met by chance and ended up becoming two of the most highly regarded songwriters in the world. Cook was born in Fishponds and Greenaway in Southmead Hospital, both just before the outbreak of World War II. As a teenager, Greenaway was talented enough as a footballer to be signed as a youngster by Bristol City Football Club, but he preferred music to sports. Meanwhile, in another part of the city in 1958, the guitarist in the Sapphires, the band Roger Cook was a member of, wrote a song for the one woman in the band to sing. I was so jealous. I thought if he can write a song for her, I can write a song. I started writing at least a song a week from then on. Word of the Week For this week's word, I'm delving into the world of entertainment and the stage to bring you... Ghost light. The ghost light is an electric light that is left on on the centre of the stage in a theatre when the theatre is unoccupied and would otherwise be completely dark. There are, of course, the obvious practical safety reasons for this. To avoid accidents, such as falling into the orchestra pit, or stepping or tripping over set pieces. There is an unsubstantiated story of a burglar who tripped on a dark stage, broke his leg and sued the theatre for damages. But this tradition began in the days of gas-lit theatres when dim gas lights were left burning to relieve pressure on the gas valves. There's also a popular theatrical superstition that holds that every theatre has a ghost, and some theatres have traditions to appease ghosts that reach far back in time. For example, the Palace Theatre in London keeps two seats in their balcony permanently bolted open to provide seating for the theatre ghosts. Similar superstitions hold that ghost lights provide opportunities for ghosts to perform on stage, stopping them from cursing the theatre or sabotaging the set or production. This is also used to explain the traditional one day a week that theatres are closed. Some superstitions claim that the ghost light is in place to scare away ghosts, 
not to appease them. Greenaway was working at a paper manufacturing company where he formed a harmony group with colleagues called the Kestrels. They practiced in the workplace basement and other staff would come down and listen. They played with the likes of Billy Fury and Lonnie Donegan and even appeared higher on the same bill as the Beatles in 1963. Harry Barter was the original Simon Cowell of the day, organising an X Factor style event in the 1960s when bands would compete in heats to get through to a final. The Kestrels with Greenaway and the Sapphires with Cook ended up competing against each other at the Bristol Hippodrome in the early 1960s. We got up and sang and thought we were pretty good. Then the Kestrels came on and blew us away, recalled Cook in a later interview. The Kestrels won and went on to tour as a band. One day, needing to replace a member, Greenaway remembered Cook and suggested him as an alternative. Cook jumped at the chance and went straight on tour with the group, but it seemed his partnership with Greenaway was to be short-lived, as the latter had decided life on the road was not for him, and this would be his last tour. Towards the end of the tour, the pair decided to see if they could write a song together. In a dressing room in Cleethorpes, they wrote their first song, You've Got Your Troubles. They recorded a demo of the track and then went back to the concert. When the tour was done, Tony Hiller at Mills Music called on the pair. He said, sit down guys, I've got something fantastic to tell you. And he played us a version of You've Got Your Troubles by a band called The Fortunes. Greenaway would later recall. It turns out that Hillier had not only played the demo to the people behind the fortunes, he had also played it to several others, including George Martin, the man who produced the Beatles. Cook and Greenaway met Martin, who praised their songwriting so much that Cook remembers leaving the room. Walking on air, there was nothing underneath me. <laughs> Word on the street. Today we're going to Duchess Way in BS16 and this continues a regional theme of female titles. The inspiration for this name is the nearby land on which the Dowager Duchess Elizabeth of Beaufort was killed in a riding accident on the 7th of May 1760. As you're driving along the M32 into or out of Bristol, you should see an obelisk to her memory in the grounds of Stoke Park House. George Martin suggested that Cook and Greenway become a recording duo, and his wife came up with the name David and Jonathan, named after the Old Testament friends. They had their first hit with a Beatles cover, Michelle, and their biggest hit with their own song, Lovers of the World Unite, in 1966. But after 18 months away from home, they realised that it was all too much and decided to concentrate on writing rather than performing. They also became in-demand session singers. They sang on early Elton John albums, and Elton once spent a night at Cook's house in Fishponds. Around the turn of the 1970s, Greenaway was in ad hoc bands with various session musicians 
and had hits such as United We Stand with Brotherhood of Man, My Baby Loves Lovin' with White Plains, and Gimme That Ding with the Pipkins. Meanwhile, Cook had been asked to join a new band called Blue Mink. That went on to have a string of hits such as Melting Pot and The Banner Man. Many of the hits for these acts were written by Cook and Greenaway. In a works tribunal today, a Mr James Saunders stated that his boss hates it when he shortens his name to Dick, especially because his name is actually Steve. The Backtracker History Show. Stories from the past, brought back to life. Cook and Greenaway's songwriting became legendary. And at one point, there was a two and a half year period where they were never out of the charts in the UK. Legendary British DJ Tony Blackburn said, What makes Cook and Greenaway so special is they have a knack of writing very short but memorable songs. When I was out on Radio Caroline or Radio One, I was selecting records looking for that perfect pop song the ones that everybody would love to sing along with. There were moments of inspiration for the pair whilst they were creating their songs. For example, Greenaway recalls being in Sunderland and experimenting on the piano. The song, Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart, was the result. It ended up being a hit for Gene Pitney and has been covered multiple times since. They could never quite replicate my demo, so it's my version you hear in the original. During that period of time, they had many hits in Europe and the USA. One of the most famous being Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress, sung by the Hollies. At the time, Scylla Black was about to start her second TV series. Her producer at the BBC called Greenaway, looking for a theme tune. He said Scylla will be in silhouette at the back of the stage. She'll walk forwards, and when she gets to a mic, a pin spotlight will hit her head, the lights will go up, and everything has to happen. It was at that moment he said, he gave me the title of the song. Something tells me something's going to happen tonight. The pair were now in high demand. They wrote songs for a band called Blue Mink, propelling them to chart success and the jingles for hundreds of commercials, including all the ones used on the new station, Capital Radio. They were approached to write songs for Coca-Cola. Greenaway came up with a ditty called True Love and Apple Pie, but was told while the melody was fine, the lyrics wouldn't work. Cook and advertising executive Bill Backer worked on the lyrics and came up with I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. We got paid and that was the end of it as far as we were concerned. As Cook would say later. The radio advert, sung by the new Seekers, ran its course and as Cook and Greenaway recall, did not have much of an impact. Then the tune was adapted for a TV advert. I liked by The World of Coke, sung by the Hillside Singers. Cook said, Thousands of people were writing into Coca-Cola and asking where they could buy the song. The New Seekers were playing a show in New York and were rushed into a studio to record the full version of the song. Ten days later, it was in the charts, 
selling 99,000 copies in one day in London alone. Tony Blackburn can still remember the first time he played it on the radio. The audience reaction was tremendous. It's just such a joyous song. It makes you feel really good every time you listen to it. It was about this point in their career that success had an unexpected impact on the pair. We'd been involved in making records for what we would call makeup groups, said Greenaway, and at one point, four one off acts who had had their songs written by the pair performed on Top of the Pops at the same time. It's never happened before and will never happen again. A month later, we'd been in the studio and recorded another song called Lady Pearl for a group we called Current Craze. That's when Greenaway took a call from Top of the Pops, saying they loved the song and would like the band on the show the following week, and could Greenaway pass on the names of the group? I said, well, it's Roger Cook, and he said, stop there. He said, it's not you guys again, is it? I said, it was, and he said, Roger, I can't use you. You would not believe the number of letters we get complaining about you guys after that four-act fiasco. He said he'd been given the word, from on high that they mustn't use us again. I told Roger and he said if we were in America we could be fated for our success and here because we're successful we're being denigrated. That's what eventually drove him to leave the UK. In 1975 Cook decided to move to the USA ending the songwriting partnership although they remain friends to this day. Greenaway continued to write with others and had a string of hits with the Drifters, as well as others such as It's Gonna Be a Cold, Cold Christmas with Dana and Jeans On with David Dundas. Cook settled in Nashville and moved into the country music market. His biggest success came with Talking In Your Sleep for Crystal Gale, but he has had many country hits, including two number ones for Don Williams. And like I said, Greenaway continued to work, partnering with the Drifters in the 1970s bringing them back into the charts. Those were five wonderful years, a dream. He also went on to become chairman of the Performing Rights Society, earning a reputation as someone who fights for the rights of songwriters. In 1998, he was awarded an OBE. As well as their huge catalogue of songs, the pair have been given plenty of awards, including several Ivan Novello awards between them. Cook became the first Englishman to be inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame and the pair were jointly welcomed into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in New York on the night when they sang together on stage. Even now, Cook says he writes at least two songs a week. Tony Blackburn once said, The songs those two turned out, they will live forever. But I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing remains their most famous track. Here in America, they sing it in schools, kids sing it. I am told some churches even sing the words of Amazing Grace to that tune. When I play live, I always end up with that song and the place always erupts. And I think, well, Roger, you can't escape this song. It's with you forever. Fish Ponds can be proud of its two famous sons. Roger Cook even wrote a song about the house he grew up in. It's called Three Parnell Road, Fish Ponds, Bristol and appears on his 1970 solo album, Study. Roger Greenaway's son Gavin 
followed in his famous father's footsteps and took the legend further. He is now a successful composer, conductor and music arranger in his own right, having conducted the scores for the films Thin Red Line, Gladiator and Pearl Harbor, all of which were composed by Hans Zimmer. Gavin Greenaway was one of the composers commissioned to write music for the Thames Diamond Jubilee pageant in 2012 in honour of the Diamond Jubilee of Elizabeth II. And he has also recently conducted music for the Star Wars anthology film Solo, A Star Wars Story. Once upon a time. Boring. It was the best of times. It was the worst. You got that right. What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host The Ever-Trending Story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at EverTrendingPod. Back in the day facts. Let's start with the 30th of April 1952. Mr. Potato Head is the first toy advertised on television. Also on the 30th of April, but in 1988, the then largest banana split ever, at 4.5 miles long, is made along Market Street in Sellingsgrove, Pennsylvania. On the 1st of May 1957, the Duchess of Kent opened the new Bristol Airport, which replaced the original civil airport at Whitchurch. On the 2nd of May 1497, John Cabot's expedition departs Bristol, searching for new lands across the Atlantic. Cabot rose to prominence as a Venetian merchant who travelled widely. He reached the coast of what is thought to be Newfoundland in June of 1498. He returned to England and was rewarded handsomely by the King. On the 3rd of May 1915, John McRae writes the poem In Flanders Fields. Also on the 3rd of May, but in 1926, Britain's Trade Union Congress calls for the country's first ever general strike, and it begins at one minute to midnight in support of striking coal miners, and lasts for nine days. On the 4th of May, 1904, Charles Rolls meets Henry Royce at the Midland Hotel in Manchester, England. They go on to form the car manufacturer, Rover. I'm kidding, it was Rolls-Royce. And lastly, on the 5th of May, 1967, the Kinks release Waterloo Sunset as a single, and it peaks at number two on the British charts. And now, my friends, I fear that's the end of the show, but don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. And it's a small cast to thank this week. We have Steve Shepherd from Broadly Stoke Radio and Molly Jeffries from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. In the next show, I'll be regaling you with the tale of a seafaring tragedy that changed maritime safety forever. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. 
Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>